Well, good morning. I'm David Lin, and uh, I, I lead the Blossom Hill Snell Home Group. And uh, as we move into our time of looking into God's Word, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through it, and thank you that you speak to us through it. And we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come, make it real to us, make it alive, help us to understand uh, what you're saying to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at the end of our transition period, or nearly at the end. Uh, Pastor Steve and Jan's last Sunday with us was at the end of March, about two months ago. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's felt uh, so much longer than than two months. (laughs) Uh, But we really are thankful for the way that the Lord has faithfully sustained the church during that time. And especially thankful for Nick and Megan, uh, who are really a blessing and a provision from the Lord. So, uh, praise God. Now, the passage we'll be looking at today is Nehemiah 4, which is also about a transition period. And if uh, you don't have a Bible with you, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring a Bible to you. Nehemiah 4 is found on page 400 in the Church Supplied Bibles. And before we dive into the passage, I'd like to give just a little background on Nehemiah. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah both have to do with the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Uh, Throughout the time of the judges and the kings, Israel really uh, kept on sinning and uh, following false gods and idols. And because of that, God allowed the Assyrians to come in and capture the northern kingdom of Israel, and then Babylon to come and capture the the southern kingdom of Judah. So they they took the people away to Babylon. And when they did that, they they burnt the temple, they broke down and burnt the temple, and also broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Later, however, the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians. So you're getting a whole history lesson here. And... uh, At that time, the the king of Persia, Cyrus, allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple. And that that occurred. And later, Ezra, the book of Ezra, it talks about Ezra going back and teaching the people God's law. And then it brings us to where we are, what we're going to talk about today, Nehemiah, who went back to rebuild the walls. So the passage we'll be reading is Nehemiah 4, which is where Nehemiah asks for permission to go back to Jerusalem. He's given that permission, and the construction of the walls, the repair of the walls is starting, and opposition is starting as well. Now, the reason I chose this passage is because um, I feel like just like Ezra and Nehemiah are talking about a time of rebuilding for Jerusalem, I feel that God is... Um, having Mercy Hill Church enter into a time of rebuilding. During the, during the last year or so that Pastor Steve was here, he, he often talked about how Mercy Hill Church has seen what he called a, a drought of conversions, where just not many people were coming to know the Lord. Um, and at the same time, how uh, somehow several families and individuals were, were moving out of the area for various reasons, jobs, um, you know, things like that. And then afterwards, Pastor Steve and Jan themselves were, were called away. Uh, God called them to, to go move to Abu Dhabi and plant an English-speaking international church. And in addition, you know, some other people felt 
the Lord was having them move on. So we're a smaller church than we were a year or two ago. And I feel like um, it's, it's now a time that God is moving us into rebuilding. Now, I don't mean growing the church for the sake of having a large church or for the sake of numbers. I don't think God's interested in that. But the Bible repeatedly tells us what God wants the church to do. God says that we're ambassadors for Christ. He said that he wants us to pray that God himself would raise up laborers to go out into the harvest. He told us he wants us to make disciples of all nations. And if we follow Paul's example, he wants us to be servants to all that we might win more people to Christ. And once people know Christ, he wants them to be built up. So in our church, we often read from 1 Corinthians 14, like we did this morning. It talks about how God gave spiritual gifts to the church for the building up of the church. And 2 Timothy 2.2 talks about how Paul taught Timothy so that Timothy could teach others who could teach others. So it's very clear. God wants his church to grow for people to be saved and for people to be built up. And as I read Nehemiah 4, I saw four ways that the rebuilders of Jerusalem acted that I think God wants us to emulate. Now, the Bible's full of examples of people acting badly or poorly. Just because they do it in the Old Testament doesn't mean that we should automatically do that. I think you could think of some examples. So just because Nehemiah and the Israelites did something doesn't mean you should say, okay, we're going to do that too. So what we'll do is we'll look at other passages in the the Word to see if, if what they did followed some general principle that we should follow. Okay, so let's look in the Word. So page 400 in the Church Supplied Bibles, Uh, The first exhortation is in verses 1 through 6. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So the situation was, as I said, the Babylonians had broken down the wall. And it wasn't just like, you know, lowered. There were actual gaps in the wall where someone could just walk in. Uh, You know, it offered no protection at all to Jerusalem. So the first step that what Nehemiah had to do was to repair the gaps. And that was the first priority. And they did this in the midst of all this jeering and taunting and opposition from the enemy. And the lesson I took from this section is found in verse 6. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So I, I think for us, as we rebuild, I think God is also calling us to have a mind to work or a mindset to work. You know, rebuilding isn't easy. 
there's classes to teach, there's chairs to set up, uh, there's worship sets to practice, uh, so many things to do in the church. And then when there's fewer people, it can be tiring, especially when there's fewer people. But having a good work ethic is something that's emphasized throughout the Bible. There's many verses, but I've selected just a few to read. In Colossians 3, we're told to work heartily. It says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In Acts 20, we're also told to work hard. And the things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then finally, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, we're told that the sharing of the gospel involves labor. It says, so neither the one who plants nor, sorry, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Now this third verse is so key. As we rebuild, we need to remember that we're not accomplishing anything. It's God who's accomplishing everything. He's the only one that can convict people of sin. He's the only one that can draw people to Jesus and change their hearts. He's doing all the work. So what, what are we doing? What is our contribution? In 1 Corinthians 3, it says it's the labor. It's the work. That's what, that's what our contribution is, the planting and the watering. Now, I know many of us are, are already working hard in, in this church. And in fact, for example, if there's a need for children's ministry workers, it's, it's hard to find people. It's not because people aren't willing to help, but because people are already doing you know, a lot of other things. And actually, so I was... I was reading this, I was going, yes, this is a, this is a message from the Lord that we, we need to work hard as we're rebuilding, but I'm afraid, you know, are people going to get burnt out? Um, that was actually one of the things I was most worried about. Uh, so how can we ke- keep from getting burnt out? I think one way is to recognize that uh, these commands uh, and exhortations from the Bible, they're not just commands, but like most commands in the Bible, they, they come with a promise. So in Colossians 3, 4, it talked about receiving the inheritance as our reward. In Acts 20, 35, it says that when we work hard, we're blessed. And then 1 Corinthians 3, it says that we each receive our wages according to our labor. Another thought that helps me not get burnt out is that God notices all our work. You know, sometimes you're working hard and you think, okay, does this, is this making any difference? Does anyone notice if this gets done or not? Um, does anyone appreciate what I'm doing? But God always notices the work that you do, whether anyone else notices or not. In fact, especially if no one else notices, God says we're blessed. He says in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Uh, one part of the Sermon on the Mount, three times he says um, that God sees the things we do in secret and rewards us for them. Now, this reward, we we have to talk about this reward. What kind of reward is it? Uh, In Matthew, Jesus is comparing, if you do things in public, you get the recognition of man. But if you do things in secret, you get the recognition of God. And then right after that section, he talks about um, storing our treasures in heaven. So, So this 
this reward is not earthly, material, temporary things, but it's really God's blessing, his presence, the joy that we have in really following the Lord and in helping others. Okay, the second exhortation is in verses 7 through 14. So let's look back at the word. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So the people of Israel were working hard. You know, they had closed up the gaps. They had built the the wall to half the height. But there was a lot of work to do. When I read this, it sounded like there were two kinds of people. Um, It sounded like they were the builders on the wall. You know, they're placing the stones in the right place. And then there were those carrying the burdens. They're they're just, you know, shuffling the stone rubble from place to place for the builders to place. When I was thinking this, I was thinking of Morocco somehow. Just somehow I imagined everyone lifting stones and moving them. Um, but it gets tiring. And so the people were tired. And not only that, but they were being threatened that they would be killed. So exor- Nehemiah's exhortation to the people was in verse 14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is awesome, great and awesome, and fight. What was Nehemiah telling the workers? Basically, it was a command to trust God, trust God's character, and then, based on that, to act. And that's really how God is throughout, throughout the Bible. It's like, have faith in me, and then, based on that faith, follow my commands and act. So Jeremiah 32 tells us that we can have total confidence in God. It says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Romans 8 tells us that we don't need to be afraid because God is for us. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, what a wonderful, what wonderful verses Romans 8, 31, and 32 are. Do we have enemies? It's basically saying it doesn't matter. If you have God on your side, it doesn't matter. When, when we were sinners, when we were facing judgment and punishment, what we deserved, God sent his very own son to save us. Jesus died a terrible death on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins. If he did all that for us, if he's, if he's that much for us, We don't need to be afraid. And what should we do with our trust? Uh, Ephesians 6 tells us to fight for we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. 
It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So as we're rebuilding, if we're advancing God's kingdom, uh, if we're sharing the good news, we need to expect opposition from the devil, and we're going to have to fight. Now, I think this exhortation, the second one, is really for people um, like me. You know, I, I fight with fear and faith, you know, a lot of times in my life. For example, I, I want my coworkers to be saved, and I know that, um, that Jesus can do that if they'll put their trust in him. And, you know, they would enjoy the peace, they enjoy the, uh, the joy of knowing him. And uh, sometimes I'll tell them, you know, I talk about church, like what I do on the on the weekends, or uh, you know, I'll say, well, you know, I'll bring up God's name. But a lot of times I'm I'm afraid, and um, I'll hesitate. You know, I'll be silent when I sh- when I shouldn't be. For example, I have a coworker who has chronic arthritis, and sometimes she'll be out of the office for a few days when she has a flare-up. And I've often thought, okay, should I go and offer to pray for her? Uh, I want to, but there's a part of me that's afraid as well. It's like, well, okay, is it, it, it's kind of weird. It's at work, right? Or, or what if I pray for her and then nothing happens? You know, will that discredit God? Um, and so I have this, this battle going on. Um, and Nehemiah tells me how to fight, fight that fear. Uh, it says to remember, so I know Jesus can save. I know God is all-powerful, but you know those are just some thoughts that are floating around with the millions of other thoughts in my brain. To remember them means to, to push them to the front of my mind, to focus on them, to say, yes, remember, God is great and awesome. So if I really have that conviction, it'll give me the boldness to act, to speak to my coworker or whatever else that God is calling me to do. The analogy I was thinking of is that having the conviction of how great God is is like the firm foundation from which we could spring into action. And I was actually thinking of uh, the standing high jump. Did you guys do this in elementary school? We, we had to. So you go outside, right? And uh, normally we would go to the handball court because there's a wall there. And the teacher gives you a piece of chalk. And then you go up there and, and you, you mark... You make a mark on the wall, and then you jump as high as you can, and you make another mark. And then the teacher will measure the distance between those marks, and that's how high you jumped. I always thought that was pretty, pretty smart. Um, but imagine if you were standing in loose sand and trying to do the high jump, if you were in the sandbox at school. You know, you just couldn't jump because it's all loose and not firm. It's just like beach volleyball. It's so much harder than regular volleyball. Um, so what you really need is you need the concrete, you need the blacktop that you can really get a good push off, make that high mark, and, and get a good grade. Um, so that's really what it's like. When we face those times when, oh, I'm, I have my fear fighting my faith, we really need to push to the forefront of our mind you know, the truth about who God is. Be firm in that conviction. That's going to give us the conviction to be able to be bold. Um, and, and that's really my hope for all of us, is that I, I think if you're like me, you come to those points, and you get really nervous. I mean, it's that point of decision. Will I do something or not? Is to, to remember 
how great and awesome God is and fight. Okay, the third exhortation is in verses 15 through 20. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So in this section, the Israelites had discovered the plans of the enemies, and they geared up for it. You know, they armed themselves for war. You know, I, I talked about those carrying, shuffling the stones. They only carried with one hand. They had the sword in the other. And the builders, you know, they're, they're building, but they still have their swords strapped to their side. Um, so they, they kept their guard up, and they protected one another. And they also had a, a plan, the signal. Uh, the guy with the trumpet, if they saw an attack coming, he would blow the trumpet, and everyone would rush. They would rally so that they could work together to protect against the enemy. So the exhortation I see here is that we should protect one another and rush to each other's aid. 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 8 and 9, tells us that we also have an enemy who is out to attack and defeat us. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And Ephesians 6.8 tells us how we should fight the enemy, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So as we rebuild, we need to know that we have an enemy who is out to get us, and we need to be aware, be sober-minded, be watchful. And while we're working, we need to be ready for battle. Now, we read two verses in Ephesians 6. The first was Ephesians 6.10, and the whole chapter of Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And I think that's one way that we have to gear up to fight the enemy. Uh, The armor of God, to me, really speaks about knowing who we are in Christ and having that faith. You know, you have the helmet of salvation. You know that you're saved because of what Jesus did. The blessed breastplate of righteousness uh, because of what Jesus did. The shoes of the gospel, of the prosperation of the gospel peace, the belt of truth, shield of faith. And then we also have the sword of the spirit, which to me is the, um, is the specific application of God's word. You know, sometimes when someone shares a struggle, God will give you a verse or a passage, something that you learn that you can specifically share with them and say, you know, this is, I think, what the Lord wants to tell you to encourage you. And then in Ephesians 6.18, we talked about, uh, or we read about how we should pray for one another and make supplication for each other. And I love the picture of the trumpet call. Uh, There's times when we're suddenly under attack. Maybe it's a 
Maybe it's a work issue or family issue. Maybe it's a sudden temptation that comes in like a fiery dart. There's really two parts to make this work. The first is the trumpet call. We need, if we're under spiritual attack, we need to call out for help. Okay, so imagine you're working on the wall. You're one of the builders. You're, the, you're one of the lucky ones, okay? I think it's easier, it's more fun to place the stones than to carry them back and forth. So you're working on the wall. You know, it's, it's hard work. You're tired. You know, your sword's getting in the way because you're, you're strapped to your side. And then you, you place the stone and you look up and there's people rushing towards the wall. What do you do? Okay, hopefully you're not like me. I tend to overthink things. I go, huh, there's people rushing the wall. Oh, I think they're attacking. Or maybe they're just in a hurry to get here. Maybe, maybe I should tell that trumpet guy to blow the trumpet. But then, yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. Maybe I can just hold them off myself. You know, maybe I could throw some stones at them or something. Okay, that's the wrong thing to do, right? If you're under attack, you need to right away blow the trumpet. You need to raise the alarm. So when we're under attack, don't be afraid to ask for help, ask for prayer. That's what God wants us to do. And then there's a the second part. We need to rush to each other's aid. Okay, you imagine you're on the wall, still tired, you know, still building. You hear the trumpet call. What do you do? Hmm, that sounds like the trumpet. I bet we're under attack. I wonder if it's that Tobiah. Maybe it's Tobiah or... Or the Ashtodites? Maybe it's the Ashtodites. I guess I should go over there and take a look. But you know, I only have a few stones left. I bet I could just finish these and then I'll head over there and see what's going on. Okay, wrong again, right? Um, If your brother or sister is in need, we need to rush to help them. And I think this is part of Mercy Hill's culture. Actually, I'm, I'm always so encouraged when there's a need and, I, and people rise up to, to help. Uh, you know, whether it's new baby in the family or surgery or an illness, whatever the need, I, people are always, you know, quick to bring meals, to pray, to encourage. And, and I love that about um, our family here at Mercy Hill Church. And then with modern technology, we have text now and we have Facebook it's so easy to raise the alarm. You know, I need help. Um, or to, to encourage one another through email. Even the prayer, that, prayer request that we received last night from Steve, I mean, it's so amazing. You know, halfway around the world, you can just send a, a prayer request and people can rush, rush to aid. Uh, you know, I'm not a social media guy, but even our home group has a Facebook secret group. And it's been a, a great way to uh, list, you know, or to mention if we have a prayer item or a praise, and then we can also encourage each other through it. Okay, the fourth and last exhortation is in verses 21 through 23. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by day, and may, sorry, by night, and labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon in his right hand. So the last command I want to focus on that Nehemiah gave in this chapter is to dwell together. He wanted them to pass the night within Jerusalem because there's safety and productivity in being together. And the passage I think of for this is uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So at Mercy Hill, I think this talks about the importance of home groups and DNA groups. When we're isolated, it's, easier, it's easy to be overpowered by the enemy. It's easy for the enemy to come and, and pick people off. Um, so we all go through struggles, whether it's financial stress, work stress, uh, whatever it is, anxiety, depression, in the home groups, we can support each other, we can pray for one another, we can encourage one another. We do that by um, the specific application of God's word. We do that by prayer and encouragement. So by way of reminder, as we rebuild and as people come to Christ, let's remember to uh, invite them to be part of our community here at Mercy Hill Church as a, as a church family and also in our home groups. And if you're not yet in a home group, I encourage you to join one. It's, it's, um, it's a place where we can encourage one another and protect one another. So in summary, these are the four exhortations I, I see in Nehemiah 4 as we go through this time of rebuilding. One, have a mind to work. Rebuilding can be tiring, but God calls us to labor, and he promises rewards of joy, joy from his presence and joy from helping others. Two, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Bring to mind um, who God is so that we can have a firm foundation from which to act. Three, protect one another and rush to each other's aid. Don't hesitate to ask for prayer. During this time, we're going to be under attack. You can't do it alone. Ask people to pray and be quick uh, to come to people's aid, rush to people's aid. And lastly, dwell together. Come together for real fellowship, encouraging each other, protecting each other, and working together. You know, I'm excited about where we're going. You know, actually, when I was reading Ezra and Nehemiah, one of the first things that caught my mind and what kind of made me think about this relating to our church was that that in Ezra, it talks about the temple being rebuilt, and it seemed like it was God's plan you know, they, that uh, Cyrus said, go rebuild the temple. You know, great. But opposition arose and Cyrus was de- dethroned. And then the next king they, was petitioned to stop the work. And the, st- the work stopped on the temple for seven years. It, I just felt like, well, that's where we are. You know, the, the work, we were growing, we are growing. And then suddenly, you know, bam, something happened. Why did God allow this to happen? But it happened in the rebuilding of the temple. But God was faithful, and the temple was rebuilt, and the walls were rebuilt. The, these walls, they were rebuilt in 52 days. I don't know if, if you can imagine building the whole walls and rebuilding in 52 days. That's amazing. And I think God has amazing, amazing things planned for Mercy Hills. We're faithful to him, too. And let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much because you're so faithful to us. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to this church. Lord, we thank you that you've saved uh, you've saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you give us faith, that you would give us faith to pray, that you would give us faith to act. Lord, I pray that we would support and bless one another and bless those outside the church as well. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.